Kia ora, I'm Tim McCready and this is Too Much Talk, a podcast from Onihanga FM. Way back in 1893, Elizabeth Yates became mayor of Onihanga and the first female mayor in the British Empire. She famously said, There is in both borough councils and in parliament too a great deal too much talk. Over the last few weeks, we've been cutting through the talk and chatting to candidates and commentators ahead of the local body election about their vision for Onihanga and the surrounding suburbs. It is time to speak to the top polling mayoral candidates. In this episode, I chat with Efeso Collins. He is currently a councillor in the Manukau ward and is running to be Auckland's next mayor and would be the city's first Pasifika mayor. Kia ora, whaanana, Efeso Collins. Thanks so much for being with us today. It's great to have you on the podcast. Oh, kia ora, Tim. Thanks for having me. This is really exciting. I'm almost jealous because Josephine Bartley's already been on the podcast and I thought, oh, it must be my turn soon. <laughs> <laughs> yep, today. Here we go. Um, yeah. I, I want to begin this as we do with all these conversations and just ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and what you would bring to the mayoralty. And I know you must have your elevator pitch really nailed after so many events recently. So can you give us your best in under two minutes? Yeah, I'm not sure that it's an elevated pitch at the moment. <laughs> my, I'm a festival, grew up in, in Otara in South Auckland. Auckland parents came from Samoa in the early 1960s, met at Orange Hall uh, on around K Road area, uh, and then when they were staying in Ponsonby with my dad's older brother, they moved out to Otara when the state housing went in, uh, and they chose uh, South Auckland over West Auckland. Uh, I went to school locally, so went to East Tamaki Primary School, Ferguson Intermediate, spent a couple of weeks at Auckland Grammar, and then finished my schooling at Tangaroa College in Otara. And I was the first in my family to go to university and graduate from university. I'm the youngest of six children, and uh, so that means I'm I'm often seen as the naughty boy or the golden <laughs> child, one of the two. Right. But had the pleasure of being um, brought up, raised in Samoa for a little while, for a couple of years, uh, and that was with mum's parents and then we came back there. My father was an itinerant um, Pentecostal minister for a while and so we were in and out of Samoa so I got the opportunity to stay in Samoa uh, while they did ministry work around the area and then I was raised with my parents, my grandparents and went to school locally. So I guess I bring to the the, the whole race a, a sense of real community uh, spirit, a collaborative approach and the ability to listen. And I think that's one of the things I've really enjoyed about this is that I, I enjoy listening. And when you're the youngest in a family, you don't get to talk a lot. So listening is something I come to naturally. So I hope that gives people a bit of a background around me. And you know, I studied, I did kind of educational philosophy and have worked with young people most of my life. I own a small business. Uh, but at the moment, I've been the sitting councillor for Manuko for the last six years. Yeah, and I, I did want to ask you about that because, yeah, you've been involved in local politics for a while now. 2013, I think you were elected to the Otara Papatoitoi local board. And 2016, as you say, uh, you became councillor in the Manuko ward. But what is it that initially got you interested in, in local politics in particular? Probably a real drive around social justice. One of the things I did a lot of was study how young people look at uh, life, what are their uh, transition points when it comes to career options. And having worked with young people for a long time, especially in South and West Auckland, lower decile schools, I was really keen to encourage young people to seek the heights. And so uh, when I understood that the system doesn't always uh, work in their favour, a lot of these young people come from pretty challenged homes, uh, Mm -hmm. don't have the same opportunities, and it's important that they feel like they've got the opportunities to go on. So getting into local government was my attempt to say, I want to stay local, I want to be involved in the community, and here's ways to really help the community to 
to find a sense of belonging and to create the spaces that they want that's going to give them a real sense of family because I think that's most important when you're working amongst the community. Yeah, right. And so when you when you look at, you know, after six years in the job and you look back at your time as, as counsellor, what would you say has been your, your greatest achievement or, or a big highlight for you? Yeah, the, the big highlights would be the, the real sense of advocacy that we've given for Manuko. So the ward that I represent includes Otara, Papatoitoi, Otahu, Mangere, Mangere Bridge. And I think that the advocacy that we've been able to drive for locals has been really good. You go back to COVID, the times of COVID, I was at the forefront and telling the government, well, I think they got things wrong. And I think it was important that vaccinations came out to the border workers who were predominantly in South Auckland uh, first. And we, you know, we had to lift levels of Pacific and Māori vaccination rates and I think we were able to do that and I've got a real sense that from the community I had churches shut their door on me at that time as well saying oh you know this is the mark of the beast and you've got to work through those things but I, I'm a real believer that our people need a sense of advocacy and a strong voice and I think that's one example of how we've been able to advance the greatest needs for our people to ensure that they're safe, that they're healthy and that their well-being is foremost in our consideration. So I think council has allowed me to do that. Also completing a few projects, you've got the Ngati Otara multi-sport complex that's gone in. Just as I was coming into the role, we'd finished the Otahu um, gym and the gym recreation and swimming pool centre. So there's been great things happen in my lecture and I've been really proud, not just of the work that I've done, but it's essentially a team of people who've advocated strongly for the community. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because you've um you have been prepared to sort of stand up on on your principles, right? Like if you look at as you said about the vaccine and 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 you know saying to the government when things aren't going well, but also when you stood up against the regional fuel tax, yeah. uh, and and you said, hey, you know this isn't right for for my people. What was? Could you explain the why why it was that you did that? Because that was surprising for some people. Yeah, and, and look, I, I, I as a councillor, I've been a Labour Party councillor. In running for the mayoralty, I'm endorsed by mm. the Labour Party, which gives me a bit more room. But I stood up because when you look at all the evidence, you see really clearly that the regional fuel tax is a regressive tax. Its biggest impact is on poorer communities. And if you think about the community that I represent, it's the poorest ward in the city. And we've often got older cars that are gas guzzlers. So we're filling up the car more often. We've mm. got bigger families. So all that just means is a cumulative effect on the challenge or the cost challenges that it has on our families and whilst I think there are good infrastructure plans for that money that would come in from the regional fuel tax essentially you're relying on the poorest end of the city to to, um, fill up the tank as it were for the regional fuel tax and I just think it's not fair on those families it's not fair on our communities so I voted against it and I wanted our community to know that you've got a strong advocate that I wasn't just going to follow uh, the calls and people say, oh, you've got to do this. I think you've got to, uh, local government gives us the chance to have a real sense of independence. And I've tried to exercise that sense of independence because I think it's really important for the community that I represent. Mm. And and you're, um, you know, in running for mayor, you've been uh, endorsed by Labour and the Greens. So it's just, it's interesting that they, you know, they are, you know, still prepared to support you, even though you can have a voice, right? Like there is there is that separation between local and central government. Yeah, and I think what's important there is for people to understand that we come from a similar values base, that we're inclusive, we want robust discussions, and we want people to feel like we're a strong advocate for them. And I think it's really good because now I get the opportunity to be able to say to them quite freely, look, I disagree with you. And I think an example of that would be the light rail project, where I believe the light rail is going to be great for Auckland, except I don't believe in the tunnelled bit of the light rail. So I've turned, you know, I've had private conversations with the Minister of Transport just to say, look, this is how I see it. 
it'll also save you about $7 billion as well. So it allows us the opportunity to be independent. Now, I think that's mm. the values that you want to be driven by. But when it comes to the final decisions, you want people to know exactly where you stand. Yeah, right. Um, I was taking a look at your website, and you one of your one of the things you say on there is uh, "Let's bury the tide politics of old, which seek to categorize and divide us, playing one side against the other." I think everyone would agree that that sounds really good in principle. But how do you turn that into a reality, especially when uh, around the council table you've got such a disparate bunch of councillors on that governing body with you? Yeah, I think for me, it's all about being collaborative. I think people who put themselves forward for public office are really committed to their communities. They want to make a difference. You know, a lot of us have worked a while and we've got families and some of us have mortgages. Some of us don't have mortgages. You've got a range of people around that table. And it's important that you work with people. I made the choice in this term to sit next to Desley Simpson. I represent the poorest ward and she represents the wealthiest ward. Mm. I think what that shows is a desire to understand how our communities that we're a part of, that we're we're in see the world and what the challenges are and if we're able to have those kinds of conversations really robust conversations about where we come from as a city then that's what's best for us because you're able to make more robust uh, decisions or you go through a more robust process and I think a collaborative approach means that we can bury that old politics and you know, unlike central government, we're not the National Party or the Labour Party. We actually have to work together. On the 8th of October, when all the results are known, everyone comes together and you work out a plan to move forward together. And that's going to need people to be able to collaborate, connect and understand where their communities are seeing things so you can work out a common vision. Mm. Along along similar lines in terms of leadership, I know you've spoken previously about the racism that you've faced on the campaign trail and discrimination that your families had to deal with. Although I do want to point out that you've said you'd almost rather that's not reported because you don't want to be accused of playing the race card. But um, the reason I ask this, on this podcast, we've heard from Councillor Josephine Bartley about the threats that she received after, the support, after her support of the vaccine rollout. And um, there's also been quite a few instances of pretty nasty vandalism on her, on her campaign hoardings around, around our area. So my question is, what role do you think the mayor of Auckland could have in tackling things like racism and making the community safer, not just for councillors and those in politics, but for all Aucklanders? Look, I I think the role of the mayor is to lead the city, you know, statutory statutorily, if that's the word, the, the role of the mayor is to set the vision for the city. And I think if we're setting a vision that's inclusive, where people feel like there's a real sense of belonging, where they can really tag into this vision, that's only going to be for the best of Auckland. And I think that's how we lift everyone's aspirations. We lift people's eyes. And it's not just, you know, people's, uh, you know, who are de- as we evolve as a society, you're always going to be dealing with prejudices, whether it's the way you see um, people who are a different gender, the people of different colour, all of those things, where someone works, where someone went to school. You know, sometimes we we judge things on postcode. And I, yeah. I think this is a real opportunity for a mayor to bring the city together. And I, as I've gone around the city, Tim, I, I get a real sense of some underlying frustration from people. And I, what I want is let's get away from the keyboard warrior stuff, you know, mm. with the, mm. the profile of someone with a nice poodle. And let's actually be honest and have honest conversations with people. And that's going to take some real time to get there. It's going to take good facilitation. But also, it's also going to mean that people have to show greater levels of respect so that when you're talking, I listen. The mm. same way when I'm talking, people listen. And we've got to understand that what we do basically in schools, you don't put your hand up if you want to ask a question. That's how you approach a conversation. We're the mature adults in the room. So it's important that we remember that. But we also come with a desire to be honest, to be robust, but also to be respectful. 
Mm, yeah, nice. Um, okay, let's dive uh, into some of your policies and, and take a look at those. So one of your key priorities is fares-free public transport. And for people that might not have heard about it or thought it through, could you just tell us briefly why that's an important policy for you for Auckland? It's important to me because if you look at some of the research that the Helen Clark Foundation has done, there's the argument there that for some families, 30% of their family budget goes towards transport. So if we're able to take that away completely from families, you remove the price impediment of being able to get on the bus and get around the city, even get to school or work for free, then that just means you're saving money. There's going to be more money to either save or put food on the table or pay some bills. So that's really important to me. But what it also does is it recognises that we want to decongest our roads. So the people who need to be on the roads, they should be driving. And if those of us who can take the bus or the train can do that, then we should do that. So it decongests roads. It becomes a better driving experience because people are sick of spending 45 to 60 minutes on in the car. It also is good for our climate emissions and that it will decarbonise the city because the fewer of us driving means we're on public transport or we're walking or cycling and that means that we're not uh, travelling in the cars and we know that around 40% of our overall emissions come from transport and it's the under six kilometre drive that people are going on which we need to start dealing to. So that's really good for that and it helps us with the cost of living challenges we have right now too because it's putting $27 back into people's pockets per week and I think that's pretty special for anyone and in particular those of us who can't afford it so I think getting around like that making sure we've got good reach in the community make sure the buses get to the right places that's going to be great for our city yeah fares free public transport sounds great and I think everyone that that hears it thinks yeah that's that's something I want but I know um, it does require a fairly sizable expense that needs to be funded and that's that's people's big question around this so how how thought through is that how do you fund how do you fund that free transport yeah, look, there are there are buckets of money that we have available to us in our transport budgets at the moment. So there's about, and for OPEX, around $3 billion that we spend. And so it's taking from those buckets, working out what's really our priorities, making fares-free public transport our priority, and moving some of that money. Some estimates say it'll cost us $236 million. Well, within a bucket of about $2, uh, two billion, that's a lot of money. That's sorry. That's a significant amount that we're able to draw from. So it's working out which buckets can we. Work, are there places we can stall the development and, and move that over? So it's very possible, very much possible, and it's about reprioritizing. The other thing to note too is we spend about a billion dollars on contracting at council too. So again, there's another budget that we can pull from you know we've spent about four or five million dollars a month on lawyers we've got lawyers that are already working at council so if we take some of that money and move it over to public transport then I think it's it's very easy for us to pay and I, I want to tell everyone clearly that this is not about a rates increase because that's been what some people are saying I'm not increasing rates I'm just moving over the rates that you contribute to the city and making it more some, something that we can actually tangibly hold by saying yeah my rates are going to be getting on this bus for free. Mm. In our um, in our conversations with councillor candidates, we heard some criticism from Troy Elliott, who's running for CNR in Mongakiki Tamaki, who said that even with half price public transport right now, he's still seeing buses running empty. Uh, how do you know that? Well, how, what is it that makes you think that fares free public transport will result in this sort of uplift in usage that you that you say it will? 
Yeah, I think we've got to get people's confidence to get back on the bus. When we went through the COVID times, people, you know, lost confidence and we saw a whole bunch of people driving again because they needed to feel like they were safe from COVID and in their own cars. As we see people's confidence start to lift again, we don't have to have masks anymore. So that means people will start to travel again. And the, the buses going around empty, that's also a um, timetabling issue. We've got to schedule the buses better and we've got to understand if people aren't catching at a certain time, that bus might be better on a different route where we do have higher demand and so let's work all of that stuff out my role as the mayor is to set the governance vision and say to Auckland Transport this is what we want to achieve we want more people on the buses and then my expectation of the civil service is that they'll make sure that the buses are where the people are so that they can get the people onto the buses it's very logical to me and yeah I've, I've heard the complaint of people and of the empty buses and I appreciate that because what you want is if you're going to have a free service a public service yeah I see public transport as being a public service like public hospitals public schools public transport and so if we've got the buses working right for the community then it all makes sense. Mm. On that on that notion of setting a vision I was quite interested that you've proposed forming a coalition of mayors across New Zealand to coordinate action on climate change. Uh, I wondered if you could explain a little bit about what you think that would achieve, but also isn't it hard enough as it is just to get coordination around the councillors? How do you think that would work in practice? Yeah, this is, so for me, this is about lifting our eyes to leadership. So in practice, what I see is let's connect with the mayors. I think there are a number of mayors, or there will be a number of mayors right throughout the country who know that it's time to really tackle our challenges around climate change. And then we can work alongside each other, learn from each other with some of the programs that we're running in our own jurisdictions and share that information. Make sure you do something creative together. But it also means it gives us a stronger voice and advocacy towards the Crown. I've also called that not only do we we get these mayors together to work on stuff, to share the information and good practice that we've got going, represent that to the Crown, but that we also get the GST back on the rates that we pay, which is about $300 million, and that can go towards climate action too. So I think there's some real positives here by getting people to work together. I've often felt that local government is seen as the poorer cousin to central government, but by having people come together and having a strong, united voice, then that means we're going to have a really powerful voice going to the Crown. So that's how I see it working no cost to anyone we could do things over zoom or when people are visiting each other we connect but that's what's really important is we've got to see the importance recognize the importance of local government because it's at the local where we make the real difference you know it's when we're planting more trees increasing urban ngahere encouraging people to get out of their cars and onto the bus you know even subsidies we're subsidizing evs at the moment we should be subsidizing e-bikes because that's much a much better way to get people understanding how this could work now. So that's something we could do as a, a collective or a collection of mayors and that's a real possibility to have a strong voice to the Crown. Mm. Another way that you want to build an inclusive council uh, is to work with rangatahi, so our, our younger people. Uh, what, what is it that you're proposing there and why do you think that it's important to bring their voice to council decision making? Yeah, it's, a, it's real important. As someone who's worked with young people for more than 20 years, young people, yeah, they keep you young, they keep you alive, they keep you thinking, they've got great ideas. I think if you've looked over the last few years in particular at the climate change marches that young people have been on, this is serious to them. And you bring their voices to the table where they're able to say, this is, these are our concerns, listen to us. The challenge around camps, council is they tend not to vote. 
And so I've proposed that we have a widened or an expanded youth uh, governing board, and that gives people the chance, young people the opp- opportunity to come into council, to talk about their ideas. They can respond to some of the policies that we're thinking about, but they can also suggest things and say, you've got to be a bit more daring. That's what young people do. Eh? They really push the envelope, and I love that. I think we've got to be robust. We've got to be slightly uncomfortable because if we just remain in our bubble, then nothing really happens. So by bringing them together, giving them chance to speak, that's going to be beneficial for the whole city because this is essentially the city for young people. You know, we've got lots of children. I want this to be a just child-friendly city. So we've got to think about where's our tree coverage going? Where are our playgrounds? What's important for young people? What are their transition points? Have we got apprenticeships? Have we got employers that are going to be working with young people? So all of those things are going to help us. And we we saw from the Koitu report that young people need greater voice at council. Mm. Another, I'll switch topic a little bit here, but in the uh, in the debate that you participated in, in the at, at Ngāti Whātua Orake mm. uh, Marae, you were asked about funding inequality, and I think uh, you made a really interesting point there that playgrounds in Auckland have an average of five pieces of equipment, uh, but in South Auckland the average is three, uh, and the North Shore has a disproportionately high number of playgrounds compared to its population of children. Uh, that's just one example, but do you see that disproportionate funding allocation happen across other parts of council? Yeah, it, often we work on a formula base for council and that the, the formula base that we're talking about when it comes to playgrounds is what we call the asset-based formula. So whatever your assets are, then we've got money and then how do you maintain those assets and make sure that those good community assets are working well for the community. That's the challenge is if you've got lots of libraries in your area, if you've got more playgrounds in your area, of, of course you're going to get a larger portion of the pie because there's more money when you split it all up going towards those areas. So what we've got to do is make sure that when it comes to playgrounds we're also looking at what's new where's the growth areas where are the areas we're developing what are the areas whether it be Northcote a place like Northcote where there's major development going in or to parts of South Auckland Manurewa Takanini where you've also got lots of development we've got to make sure that those spaces are there for young people together you've got good playgrounds and you've got enough um, facilities you know, a couple of years ago we opened the new uh, library in Takanini which is in South Auckland so we've, we're very cognizant of how you plan for whole communities, not just bits and pieces. So we've got to make sure that any funding that's coming through council doors is available to everyone, but it's also got a growth aspect to it as well because we know that there's going to be big development areas going in. We've got to support them with open space, green space and play space so that those communities feel like, cool, we've got apartment blocks, but we can come out, we can run around with the kids and they can get on the slide and enjoy the swings. Mm. Uh, c- carrying on that topic of uh, inequality, we hear a lot about the Waitemata Harbour in these debates, and it's a great harbour, uh, nothing wrong with it, but Manukau Harbour has been referred to as Auckland's Forgotten Harbour. Yeah. I think it has you know, the worst water quality at a number of the beaches, and investment is heavily weighted towards the Waitemata. Um, but, but there's also a lot of potential, especially around sort of Onihanga and the Tomanu Reserve. Do you think that's another area where funding could be balanced a little bit more fairly? Yeah, and when I was on the Otara Papatoitoi local board, that was, you know, there's the Manuko Harbour group that we had, and we had people really advocating strongly for more resource to go there to ensure that we were, um, we were, protecting it as best possible and again this comes down to where are our resources going and how are we going to um, 
really be fair and equitable in our approach. Yeah, this, I'm, of course, I've got a, a bias towards that harbour because it's the harbour that's in the area that I represent. But it's getting Aucklanders to understand we're a big city. And you've got to do that around the governing body table as well. You've got to accept that everyone's got their particular interests, but then we've got to expand those interests to see that there's a whole part of the city. And as councillors, we take a regional um, oath Hey, that we say, yep, I was voted in by the people of Manuko, but I'm going to look regionally across the city to make sure that everyone's getting their fair share. So, yeah, a lot more resource needs to go into how we protect the harbour, how we clean the Manuko harbour, how we keep it safe. So, you know, one day we'd love to be able to get in there and have a decent swim. But that's going to happen over time. And for some time, you know, when that harbour is, is at a point where we're going to re- recognise just how special and unique it is to us. Mm. How easy is that for, you know, you say councils take this oath to, that they'll represent greater Auckland. How easy is that in practice? Because, you know, you, you, are, you are elected by your people in your area, right? Yeah, it's tough. I got to admit it, it's really tough because, and, and I think it's the odd, it's it's like an oddity of, of being in, on the governing body is we've got to look at all of Auckland, but we know that the, it's locally that people vote us. And I know people have made suggestions about the electoral system. What it comes down to is us saying, well, we've got to firstly represent the people that put us in office. We've got to be connected to those communities. And those are the communities we know well. I, I represent the community that I live in. But it's also about saying, well, let, but let's also be open to understanding what the challenges are and what the the aspirations are of other parts of the city and see where we can work together. And that's why a collaborative leader around that governing body table is going to be essential because we're recognising, OK, it might not be Manuko today, but let's try Henderson this time. We'll get behind the Henderson developments. Then we might go to Howick. Well, however that works, but it's ensuring that everyone gets a piece of the pie and then you timetable it so people don't feel like, oh, we're waiting forever to get anything happening in our area yeah right that's interesting um on on this podcast we've been uh talking to to locals about what are some of the big issues for uh for our part of of auckland and onihanga uh one of the things that has come up probably wouldn't wouldn't surprise you to hear is crime uh Mm. what what do you think you could do as mayor to tackle this rise in crime that we're seeing at the moment i know a lot of it's the responsibility of central government but what would you like to introduce or change uh as a mayor to try and uh to to prevent it yeah, and this is coming up right throughout the city. And I, I want to recognise firstly that there are businesses that have been violated. And I think as a society, no one wants that to happen. There's a whole lot of sweat and investment that goes into those local retailers. And it's hard on them. People are mortgaging their houses so that those small businesses can be where they are today. So I recognise that the challenges that they've been facing and some of that hurt and trauma that they've been facing too. Mm-hmm. I think there's two ways to look at it. Firstly, there's the preventative stuff. And I work with youth agencies at the moment where we're working with young people, often they're young people who we can already identify are going to be involved in antisocial behaviour. So let's make sure we've got good resources around them, whether it's MSD, uh, the Ministry of Housing, Urban Development or Kainga Order, and the police to make sure we're supporting our young people. And we've got good youth workers and social workers to do that. I think up front where council is concerned is how do we support local businesses? How do we get alongside business improvement districts or the business associations so that we can support them? When I was chair of Otara Papatua, 
Toitoi local board, one of the things that we did was we gave quite a bit of resource towards our business associations so they could make sure that their CCTV was working, increase their levels of CCTV. But the other thing they did was they got Māori, Pacific and Indian wardens working in the community and around the town centres. And that made a difference too. And I think it's that whole of community approach that's going to make a difference. And also the bids unit within council, we've got to make sure that they're supporting local businesses so, so that when the government makes money available for, say, bollards, for instance, that businesses aren't spending heaps of time trying to make that application. We can support them by fast-tracking that stuff, supporting them through the application so that the bollards are up, they're feeling safer, we've got good CCTV in place. So there's a lot that we can do, but it's both immediate um, activities we can do as well as some of the preventative measures. Mm. And how about um, how about homelessness? Um, mm. Because uh, I know that when, uh, when Phil Goff... Uh, came into office, he was uh, very keen to tackle uh, the the challenge of, of homelessness, but it's seemingly escalated over the past six years. I know that COVID has compounded that, uh, but it's not, and it's not just in the central city and it's, it's increasingly in the suburbs. So what, what, what could you do to help these people get off the streets? Yeah. We, we've got a good um, connection with the, the, we've got our own housing collective. So we work alongside groups like LifeWise, the City Mission. All of these groups are fantastic and we meet monthly to get these groups together to talk about how we can support them. The challenge they often have is they've got the, the community workers that are at the front uh, face of everything and it's the backroom stuff or the back office stuff that they need support and so one of the things we should be doing is we've got the housing first uh, activities so we give half a million dollars a year to them continue that work support the back office work so that the community workers can actually do stuff but it's also ensuring that we work with the crown and we've got government departments like MSD and Hard Kainga Order where we can work together and actually lead out some of this activity we can provide the reference point or the referral point so that when people are in motel accommodation, because we've seen that happen over COVID in particular, is where's the reference point? So we can't put just bring people together and leave them at it. We need people to be able to say, here's a local doctor, here's your nearest hospital, here's where you get mental health support, and actually take them to it. You've got to handhold a lot of these people through that system so they know where they're able to get support. So we can tackle homelessness. We've got a homelessness plan within council too. You know, we want it to to not happen often, to not be reoccurring. And so this is important for us as a city. And if you look at uh, across the world, you know, you've got very similar instances of homelessness that really impact on Indigenous people across the world, Māori, Pacific, the LGBT community, and young people. And often these are the groups that feel marginalised in society already. So homelessness isn't just, oh, well, this has happened because of certain reasons. I think over time a lot of these people have experienced parts of our society where they feel like they aren't included and we've got to find the ways to help them understand that you know you're part of it too you've got a place in our society this is your city too and then people feel like they belong and then we've got to deal to that the other thing is we're short on houses and the Salvation Army tell us we're 30,000 houses short. I'm led to believe by Stats New Zealand data that we've got about 30,000 ghost houses. Council could actually bring people together. Let's go out and meet these homeowners and say, even if you made it available, those those empty houses available to either the rental market or to good community housing providers, we are on track to beating the supply chain that we're all struggling with and saying, well, the supply's here. It's just about trust. And I think we've got to recognise that we've got to build trust with homeowners to open their houses. Mm, interesting point. Um, 
I, I thought it was really interesting to note that the, the latest uh, Taxpayers Union poll that was just out uh, yesterday at the time of this recording uh, shows that you and Wayne Brown are virtually neck and neck. And uh, you're slightly ahead with women, younger people, and those in South Auckland and Central Auckland. But the turnout at the last Auckland local election was only 35%. And I think it's fair to say that the outcome of this election is going to hinge on supporters actually posting their ballots in the next couple of weeks. So can you talk me through, how do you, how are you going to do that? How do, how do you make sure that the people that are supporting you put that, put that um, ballot in the post? Yeah, we're, we're, we're fortunate in that we run a really strong ground campaign. We've got an army of volunteers who are willing to go out, ring people up, talk to their friends at work or at school, make sure mum and dad are aware that the vote's on, that they're looking out for the purple envelope. But this is about door knocking. I've spent the last couple of weeks just pounding pavements. I was in Grey Lynn on the weekend. Yesterday I was in Manudeo and the day before that I was in Mount Eden. And this is about just going up to people and saying, look, have you got the purple envelope? Uh, who else is a mayoral candidate that you've seen? And a, a number of people have been surprised that I've turned up to their door, but I think that's the way we've got to play it. And look, the fact is, if you don't if you don't connect with people, they're not going to vote. And I, I still have major issues with the actual electoral process myself. And I think postal ballots are such an archaic way to approach local democracy it's time to end it and when I become mayor it's going to be one of the first things that I challenge the crown on is to change the way we run these elections because people don't hey there's so much happening for people you know and if you Mm -hmm. think about you know young people don't tend to vote and I'm I'm a lot more popular according to that poll with young people so I've got the biggest challenges because I've got to get the people who tend not to vote to vote and Mm. so unless we're out there meeting them on the doorstep meeting them outside the train station it's not going to happen and I think you know there's a number of uh, factors to that but that's what we'll be doing over the next little while out of here I'm wearing my walking shoes at the moment because that's (laughs) all I'm going to do is pounding those pavements to get out and make sure people vote. Yeah, yeah, it is funny what you say. I think once every three years, everyone learns where their local post box is, right? Because I can't, I can't remember where it is. I'm going to have to go find that in the next few days. Um, <laughs> what, what are the out of interest? You know, you're out meeting all of these people in quite different areas. What are the the common areas that people are telling you they're most concerned about when it comes to Auckland? Is it the things that we've we've discussed today? Yeah, it is. So public transport for sure and making sure Auckland Transport listens to Aucklanders, that's Mm. a key issue. Community connection. I think as we talk some more, people are really interested in how they come through this COVID period where we're reconnecting once again, feeling safe and just being able to connect at the local cafe and have a coffee or, you know, for the kids, it's being out in the park, being able to throw the ball around or kick the ball around. So that's come up a lot. And I think the other thing that comes up a lot is crime and safety. And people are saying, look, I... You know, there there seems to be a level of, um, you know, youth involved in criminal activity that we want you to sort out. So those are some of the key issues. Oh, and housing. Housing's an issue that comes up a lot too. And, and, you know, talking to people about how we work closer with the Crown to get more houses. And I've been interested because across the board, doesn't matter where people live, when I talk to them about the ghost houses thing, they say, yeah, yeah, just go and meet them so they can open up their houses. So... I think we've got some clever ideas to move forward. But, you know, I'm one person, and the challenge too has been all these community meetings that are fun to go to, but I feel like I'm meeting over a million voters in groups of 30. And mm. 
that's not the best process either. So it's working out how do we actually engage with people and have a few more. You know, if I can get to a church or to a community organisation, that's cool. But you've only got two minutes. What you really need is ongoing relationships and a bit more media coverage would help too. So the podcast is really useful because it gets information out to people. And it's not just the, the post um, office that they'll be looking for, you know, the post box. It's, you can drop it off at your local countdown or your library and that makes it a bit easier too. But that's still hard because you've got to open the thing and then you've got to work out okay who's going for mayor who's going for councillor who's going for local board and you've got to read through a million profiles it's tough on people so I understand we're time poor but it's such an essential part of our local democracy yeah well we do appreciate you being on the podcast because we're hoping that that that, that this is one way that people can find out just a little bit more about the candidates final part of this this interview I've got eight quick fire questions for you so if you keep your answers to a sentence or two that'd be okay great number one yeah 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 you are a politician right (laughs) um number one what suburb do you live in Otahuhu right and when was the last time you used public transport on Saturday I caught the bus to Sylvia Park right and when was the last time you rode a bike in Auckland oh that's going back a little bit (laughs) yeah it's but probably been about a year I've been on a scooter but not a bike recently yeah, all right. Uh, if you couldn't live in Auckland, where would you live? Samoa. Right. Uh, if in your three years as mayor, you could only change one thing about Auckland, what would that one thing be? Ooh. Make people talk to each other with huge respect again. Uh, what politician do you most admire? Uh, Loaki, and just for your viewers, Loaki is uh, he was he he helped move the the mole movement in Samoa, and he was banished from Samoa. And this was when we were under German administration. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, okay, would you hire Wayne Brown if you were elected? Yeah, if he was up to doing some work for me, happy to. <laughs> uh, and final question, and a question I'm asking all my guests: Could you tell me about one of your favourite places in Onihanga and why you love it? The Good Home, because they play really good music and the food is amazing. <laughs> the, good home, the Good Home has had a lot of uh, uh, yeah, recommendations on this cool. podcast. <laughs> All right. Oh, actually, or David Tua's gym. Because that, that's still on eh? Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right by yeah, Dressmart, yeah. I think, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, just before we go, in under two minutes, could you tell the people listening why they should vote for you, Fessel Collins? Yeah, I want people to think of the vision they have for their children, a just, sustainable, climate action, climate resilient and friendly for kids' future. And that's what's really important. We've got to build this future. In the next 10, 18 years, we're going to be 2.4 million people. And we've got to learn to work together, to respect one another, to welcome difference, to be willing to share with one another. We've got to get our rate settings right. And the contributions that we make to the city are contributions to build the city. So let's sort out our, our transport. Let's get that second harbour crossing and let's make sure that we've got good transport connections. But more than anything, let's connect with one another. Let's appreciate who we are and actually celebrate Tamaki Makoto Auckland because it's our Māori identity that sets us apart in the world. And it's our identity, our collective desire to make a true change for our children that's going to make this place the most livable city in the world and the most wanted city in the sense that people want to come here. So vote Fessel Collins because that's the vision you'll get for the future. Awesome. Efeso, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us t- today. I know it's a real busy time in the lead up to the election, so we really do appreciate it. All the best with the campaign ahead. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and your neighbours. And make sure to connect with me on social media. I'm Tim underscore McCready on both Twitter and Instagram, and I'd love to hear from you. 
Thanks also to my producer, Josh Couch, who dreamed up Onihanga FM to bring hyper-local content to the residents of Onihanga and surrounding suburbs. I'll be back with the next episode soon. And don't forget to vote. Voting closes on the 8th of October. Oh, 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 o